Hi there, and welcome to the Skylight Books author reading series. If you'd like to learn more about us and our many upcoming author events, please visit skylightbooks.com, where you can browse our inventory, buy books, and join our Friends with Benefits Club. You can also follow us on Twitter, Tumblr, and Facebook. To speak to a real live bookseller like me, please call 323-660-1175. Thanks for your support, and enjoy. Tonight we have Scott Esposito. Um, discussing his new book, The Doubles, with Rebecca Weichel. Um, Scott is the author of four books, most recently The Doubles. He is a frequent contributor to the Times Literary Supplement and the San Francisco Chronicle, and his work has appeared in Bomb Magazine, Tin House, and among others. He was a finalist for the 2014 Grey Wolf Nonfiction Prize. Rebecca is a writer and editor living in Los Angeles. She founded Penny Ante in 2006, publishing titles under the Imprints Success and Failure series since 2012. Uh, the Doubles is part memoir through film, part inquiry into the effect art has on our lives. It's a passionate, exquisitely written examination of 14 films that have made him. Retelling one film per year and covering 20 years of Scott's life from 1996 to 2016, The Doubles shows the development via film of a critical intelligence and a maturing human being. So please help me welcome Scott Esposito and Rebecca Weichel. That's cool. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> cool. I think we got that all figured out. Oh, yeah. Thank you for that nice introduction, and thank you to Skylight Books for hosting. Thank you to you all for coming out to spend your uh, was Wednesday night. Sorry, I'm losing track of the days. It's been a long day. And, and of course, thank you to my friend Rebecca Weichel for uh, agreeing to spend her night asking me questions about my book, which is a, a very generous uh, thing to do. Uh, so, yeah. It's my pleasure, Scott. Um, I think uh, I, I'm really happy to be here, too. I'd like to just start by saying um, uh, Scott and I met... We've only actually met once in person, um, but Scott is someone that I feel like I know with, through this thing called the Internet. You know, you see someone on Twitter all the time, and um, I also just follow his sort of reviews and takes on, on different new books that have come out and old ones as well. And um, I do, you know, even from that one sort of meeting that we had, we had a, a really pleasant evening and we just sort of talked about what we like about books, which is so, seems so mundane, but can sort of open up a friendship that might last a lifetime. And I think um, we were just sort of commenting, like pretty much everyone here is someone that I brought, specifically, is someone that I met uh, at a bookstore or... Um, through publishing or something like that. So um, I'm just really delighted to be here and uh, talk about your new book, Scott. So um, he kind of threw me through a curveball um, earlier. I thought he was going to read and then we would talk, but there's going to be no reading. We're going to just go straight into it. Um, so the introduction, um, first of all, why is it called TLDR? Which is an acronym for too long, didn't read. Um, and I, I, like, the minute I opened it up, I was kind of like, why are you saying that about this essay? I, I wasn't, I w would love to know why. Yeah, that's, that's a fantastic question. So, kind of the, 
the whole idea behind that. I I had I had the concept for the book long before that essay came together. And basically I thought, okay, I'm, I'm going to kind of retell these 14 films. It's going to cover 20 years of my life. And that's going to be the project. And so I did that. And I felt like I wanted to kind of have an opening statement, like stuff that is very implicit in the essays and you could probably get out of reading the book. I wanted to make that very manifest, just kind of put it out there. You know, this, this is kind of why I'm doing this. This this is what I think about film. And I, I felt like that was kind of an important grounding to have at the very beginning of the book. Uh, the reason that I call it TLDR is that I didn't want to call it an introduction because nobody ever reads the introduction. <laughs> I read the introduction, though. <laughs> so, so I was thinking, like, like, kind of conceptually, like, how does this fit into the project in a way that it's not an introduction, but it's still kind of part of what comes after that essay. So I, I kind of thought, okay, like, at first I was like, maybe I can make it, like, these are the previews or something like that, but that just seemed a little corny and not <laughs> totally, like, a great idea. So I thought, okay, like, I'll call it TLDR. Like, this is kind of the distilled essence of the book, and if you don't want to read the whole thing, this is just kind of what it all is right here at the beginning. Okay. So that was, that was where that is, you know, it's, it's just basically the, the uh, internet acronym reappropriated to my book. <laughs> Got it. Um, so recently you said in, in an interview, and I'm going to quote you, um, you said, there's no doubt that film is the major artistic medium of the modern era, but that there's no doubt that a lot of what makes books indispensable will never, ever be possible in a movie. The doubles comes out of that tension. And I was hoping that you could just sort of, and this is covered in the introduction, which is not too long and worth reading, um, uh, sort of that tension and in, in sort of the premise of the book. And sort of the different strengths that you see in, in film and sure. and literature. Yeah, so, so the way, kind of the best answer to that is to talk about how this all came together. So the way that this whole project started, I was watching The Seventh Continent by uh, Michael Haneke, and that was a very powerful film for me. I had this kind of really, really, really powerful experience watching it, and that just kind of stuck in my head. Days passed, and I was still thinking about this film. I was still thinking about exactly how I felt as I was watching it, and just kind of that whole thing together. And so about a week had passed, and it just it still wasn't out of my head. It was still really, really, really kind of powerfully in me. And I wanted to get it out of there. So I thought, okay, I'm just going to kind of write everything that's swirling around in my head. And so I did that, and in maybe like an hour or something, I'd written about 2,000 words, which, if, if you know me, is a completely ridiculous number of words to write in one hour. It just, it just kind of came out fully formed, which never really happens for me. And it was like a whole essay about this film and why I couldn't stop thinking about it. And that was kind of a, a revelatory moment for me. I was like, okay, like, this has had a really profound impact on me, and I've just kind of witnessed just how much has gone into my head. There must be a lot of other films that have also had this impact on me. So that was kind of the genesis of the project, and I thought, okay, what if I tried to find like a whole bunch of films and space them out, and I could retell them, and you know, kind of look at you know what exactly from this medium has gotten into me over my lifetime, and that was how I really began to think of myself as a film person. I, I never really thought of myself as a film person. I just 
I watch film like everyone else, but I never really thought I'm a film guy. And kind of as I was doing this, I was like, wow, like, like I've been so reliant on this medium and it's kind of been with me in so many pivotal moments and I actually am really fascinated by this process and how films are made and this and that. So that was kind of the, the film part that you're talking about. Uh, but the, so, you know, and as I, as I looked into it, I began to kind of get this idea about, you know, just, just kind of what, the, the status of the medium, that it's just kind of ubiquitous and these narratives really crisscross the world and you know, it really is kind of the major artistic medium of our time. Uh, so I, I began to kind of think of myself as someone who writes weird, obscure books and essays and you know, how do those two equate? Like on the one hand you have film where millions of dollars go into it and millions of people see it on the opening weekend and that's kind of how people absorb film. Then you have books where like if you sell 10,000 of them it's like a minor miracle and it's a very different kind of way of interacting. So I began to kind of think about those tensions and what it was that I was somebody who appreciated both of them and wanted to think how both of them had kind of existed in my life. So that was, you know, that was kind of a few of the things that come out in the first essay and also just the tensions that were kind of guiding my interactions with these films as I did write the rest of the project. Right. And so was there any sort of criteria that um, the, f the films that you included sort of, did they have to pass a certain test or anything? Because I, I mean, one thing that really interests me about Scott, I mean, looking over sort of the things that he's interested in and um, like he wrote a book about Ilipo and he, you know, even some of the films that are included, there's like Russian Ark, which is, you know, one continuous shot. Um, there's uh, um, the Lars von Trier film, The Five Obstructions, which, you know, is kind of about rules and constraints. And he, like, you are very interested in sort of these techniques and systems and, and how they sort of play into our creative practice and might like elevate something to a, a higher level. So I was kind of curious, one, was there a criteria and two, did you have any other like sort of systems or rules in terms of how you mapped out this book? Yeah, well, let's see. It's, it's interesting that you you kind of seize on on Russian Ark and uh, the Five Obstructions, the Lars von Trier movie, which which is all about constraint in art, because uh, it, it was really kind of the other way around. I it wasn't that I was fascinated by Alipo that I started to see those movies. I saw those movies, and they really kind of turned me on to these ideas about you know using constraint in art or you know having these kind of weird limitations that pushed you, you know, so, so Russian Ark is like a 99-minute film that's just one shot, which is a completely ludicrous thing to do as a filmmaker. You know, just kind of seeing where that goes, and kind of those formative experiences, I think, were what kind of primed me to really embrace things like Alipo books, which I hadn't really read much of at that time. I, I don't even think I knew what Alipo was when I saw the Lars von Trier movie for the first time. Um, so... So the, that was kind of where that came from. And as to the criteria, basically it was just, I wanted to pick one movie per year. Uh, so it covers, it covers 20 years of my life. There's 14 films, so I skip a few years. But I only wanted one per year. Uh, but that was really the only, like criterion that I can name. Um, I think the other criteria, they're just very subjective. I, you know, there's just kind of things where I felt like there's something here, something that I need to explore. Uh, you know, and the ways, the ways that that kind of came out in terms of when I was looking back at films, like I wanted to know what films could I remember, like where I was sitting when I saw this, like how the seat felt, 
or you know or what was going on in my life at the time I saw that film and I feel like if you can remember all that atmospheric stuff about a particular experience be it a cinematic experience a literary experience a museum experience whatever you know you you've kind of you've created a really strong memory there that you have all this stuff attached to it so to me that's that's kind of an indication that there's something there in this experience that you're probably holding on to that you may want to look at a little bit further so I was thinking about stuff like that but it was also just you know like like what really hit me like like a clockwork orange is in there and I remember when I watched that it was just like nothing I'd ever seen it was it was so kind of overwhelming so you know of course I'm going to write about that like that that opened up a whole new world to me or uh, capturing the Freedmen's and that's just that's just such a horror story as a movie it's just so grotesque and I remember kind of at the end of it I was like oh my god what did I just see so I mean you know I mean, that's that's such a strong reaction you you have to want to delve into that mm-hmm. so did you um you know, we were talking, we, we saw each other before and we were sort of chatting. Um, you sort of mentioned, uh, I mean, we were talking about sort of how all the essays feel connected in some way. I mean, did that come at the end of the, this is a writer's question, but like, did that come at the end of finishing all the essays? Or like when you fine-tune them, did you fine-tune them all together? Or did you do, go one at a time and then, you know, they just sort of seem to fit? Or, I mean, how, how did it how did it come together? Yeah, I mean, that was, um, I guess that was kind of the, the weird, or if we want to say mystical thing about this whole process. I mean, I, I was just kind of picking films and just kind of using this dead reckoning. Like, this feels important. I should write about this. But I wasn't really thinking about, like, artistic statements or plot or the immorality of that stuff, I was just kind of really going like, this seems like a film that there's something here. Um, but then, as you're saying, all these overlaps are in the book, and in the, but they really kind of came out in the writing process. Like, like I just, you know, I would be writing about one film, I'd be like, wow, like, like I say something very similar about this other movie, or, or that, that really kind of mirrors the scene that I talk about down the line. And, but that was all kind of like, like in the process, just very serendipitous. So um, it, it felt a little bit like there was, you know, there was some kind of force guiding this whole process, and you know, I was just, I was just kind of participating in whatever was making me choose these films that had all these kind of uh, serendipities and overlaps with them. Right. Well, I think, I mean, just knowing a little bit about you and uh, like your taste and things, I think maybe the guiding force is is your taste, because uh, you know, as I was saying it uh, before this, I. I think that, um, which is something he writes about in here, um, his father worked for NASA, and at, from like a very young age, he had an interest in the stars and sort of had this sort of cosmic wonder and interest in these like very large questions that, as a child, they're they're um, really hard to fathom. And I, I think that maybe films sort of opened up that um, world to you. You know, like you start here with uh, a brief history of time, and I. Want I wonder if, um, I'm not sure where I'm going with this question, but maybe if you could talk a little bit about sort of like how your, your, your youth and like who you are today sort of corresponds with like, I mean, do you think that that, that you would agree with that? That your um, sort of, you know, your father's, I, I um, wow, I'm, <laughs> I just suddenly lost my brain. Um, if like your father working for NASA and you're sort of, um, you know, 
like, like, how, can you just talk about a little bit? Sure, sure. Remember I, I we were talking about like an hour ago. I think, just talk I, about it. <laughs> I, I, I think I see where you're going with it. Um, yeah. So the, the the first film in the book was a film that I saw in 1996, when I guess I was uh, 17 years old at the time, and it's a, a brief history of time. Uh, so this is this is of course the book that Stephen Hawking wrote about just kind of all the mysteries of the universe. You know, where where does the big bang come from? What what are black holes? What what is the end of all creation going to look like? What is science's understanding of all this stuff? And so that that was a book that I was really fascinated by at that age and that I read. And you know, it uh, it very clearly is a reflection of my upbringing. Uh, my, my, I have to acknowledge my parents. They're they're right over there. Hi, mom and dad. They're in the audience. Um, my my father is a scientist. He works at the Jet Propulsion Laboratory, and he sends spacecraft out to the planets to see what's going on over there. So you know that was kind of that was a lot of my backbone as a child. That was kind of what I was getting as a kid. So it was very natural that I would become fascinated by this stuff, and I would kind of look for the mysteries that science was looking at in a cosmological way. And so I saw this movie, A Brief History of Time, and it was just kind of a very profound cinematic experience. And, you know, and, and I say this you know, as a 17-year-old, when you're not really thinking in terms of art and aesthetics, you're, you're just some kid watching a movie. So, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't like, wow, this is a profound cinematic experience. Like I would say <laughs> now when I'm watching something, this is just kind of raw teenage youth, like reacting to it in some visceral way. But, but all the same, like I did remember that experience and I did remember watching that movie very deeply. And it was really kind of one of my first experiences when I connected with something that felt mysterious and something that felt incomprehensible and, you know, things that just we couldn't explain. And that was a really profound feeling for me and something that I wanted to really follow through life. And so for a number of years, I thought I was going to do it in a scientific way. I thought I was going to become a scientist too and learn about mysteries that way. Um, but then kind of my life took a turn and I began to go more toward literature and film and those sorts of things. But it still very much feels to me like it's all about this mystery that I first encountered uh, in the science of the stars instead of, you know, in Kafka or Beckett or what have you, which I think also creates an equally profound mystery about kind of what we're doing here and what life is all about. Um, and that, you know, that very clearly is why I react to those books so strongly. Right. And we hear about, you know, the, a lot of those questions sort of come up in the book as well. I mean, because they're sort of reflected off of, um, or, you know, you see them in films and we you sort of touch base on... Um, on them throughout the essays and stuff and um, I do want to go into sort of the memory of things and sort of accessing these memories and, and the process of that and I'm just going to read a little bit and we did want to, I wanted to acknowledge um, oh, my, my, my friend, uh, a friend Adornia's, who uh, pointed this out to Rebecca, and she, she wanted everyone to know no, that actually, it was a friend's insight. I came up with the question, and then today <laughs> I was like researching interviews, and I was like, oh crap, this question's already been asked. And then um, I realized that the excerpt that the guy sort of supported his question with is much better than the one that I picked out. So we want to acknowledge him right now. Uh, thank you. Uh, a friend. 
Oh, a friend. Okay. We're not going to say his name. No, no, um, no. That, that, that. <laughs> I, I always go through this when I say a friend's name. He, he's, he's Mexican. It's E-F-R-E-N. It, it sounds just like a friend, but he, he's, he's oh. a friend. Oh, okay. That, yeah. My bad. He, okay. Well, and thank then, you. And, and, this, and this always happens, so you're, you're not the first one. Okay. Well, thank you so much. Um, a friend. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and read your excerpt here. I have learned that memories are a little like an old book that... It, that's increasingly filled with falsehoods as you read its sentences. Science now says that whenever we access a memory, we're physically changing its fiber. The result is that cherished memories become less precise with time, not more. With each recollection, they are less the actual experience and more our impression of it. I cannot disagree. And, um, you know, this is just something that I've always been interested in. And as you know, um, we have a a person in common. uh, Janice Lee wrote a book called Reconsolidation, which sort of is about, like, the reliability of a memory and and sort of what happens to a memory over time. And um, I thought that this was just a really interesting point in this. It's like you're going back in time and, and talking about these firsts, you know, like the first time you saw... Uh, an X-rated movie, which was like A Clockwork Orange. Um, uh, first time you fell in love with uh, Soju, Re- Soju River, which we were fighting about the pronunciation of that earlier, so who knows who has it right here. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm just sort of wondering your process of, of sort of accessing these memories and how you sort of reconciled between, um, or if you're cognizant of the difference between a memory and a reflection and, yeah. and sort of combining the two yeah so um kind of kind of the the idea that you're talking about there i think the first time that i really saw it stated and it's it's a quote that i place into the book um right after the part that rebecca read so so borges's father uh, also jorge borges jorge guillermo borges um told his son one day that he kind of had this thought and he's like when i think about a memory i'm not really thinking about the memory i'm thinking about my memory of the memory and then the next time i think about that memory i'm thinking of the memory of the memory of the memory and just kind of each time you're making a photocopy of it and you're getting a little bit farther removed from whatever really happened and i remember reading that and kind of thinking huh i wonder i wonder if that's really true or not and I guess kind of as, as I've aged, I've come to see, I, I've come to agree with that point of view. And, and I've read, you know, a little bit about kind of popularized science that says, uh, you know, what, what scientists think happened in the brain. And they kind of accord with that point of view. So when I was looking back at all of these experiences for the book, I kind of began to think about that. Uh, because definitely, you know, there are lots of things like, like, you, know, you, you watch a movie 20 years ago, and it stays in your mind a certain way. And then you watch it again, and kind of all the way it existed in your mind that first time is transformed by, you know, you're watching it again. So things that you remember wrong, you're like, oh, I don't remember that right. Or, you know, things that are a little fuzzy, you see them really clearly because you're watching the movie. So I, I began to think about that. And I, I would also start, you know, I would think about where I was when I was watching these movies and what was going on. And I kind of felt like as I was accessing all of this kind of, you know, memory architecture, like I, I really was changing it. And it was it was still kind of my true memory, but it was also a little bit of, you know, I'm, I'm putting into a narrative now because I'm 20 years older and I can see where my life is gone. So that memory is going to look different. And so, I don't know, like, as I was writing the book, I was very conscious of 
that process and I did kind of feel like you know there was um it's, it's like this this pristine snow-capped mountain in Alaska and and you're the first person to set foot on it and you know once you kind of set foot on it it's forever changed um and so I I had very mixed feelings about that and sometimes you know maybe I wish I just left the memory as it was but all the same I I decided to go through with this uh, this project, so I felt like I, I had to do a little bit of that trampling whether I wanted to or not. Right. And um, <clears throat> I, I read somewhere that someone called it possibly a book of fictions, which mm-hmm. is sort of interesting because, I mean, when you think about sort of film teaches us to, like, aestheticize our lives and, like, add a narrative, you know, and, um, like, maybe there is an element of that um, sort of to the project of, of creating a story arc um, which is obviously easy to do because you're sort of accessing one memory and, and creating like and looking around at the, the rest of your life and how sort of it all fit together um, and um, we were talking about uh, what was it we were talking about well, maybe, maybe well I'll just I'll just add a little bit to that go while ahead, you're go, go. while you're trying to find the next question um, so so I, I think the person you're ref- referring to um, I, I did an event to launch this book over in New York City a couple of weeks ago and uh, Alvaro Enrique the novelist was interviewing me there and he he had mentioned that he kind of felt like this was a book of fictions in a certain way and I guess I guess I can kind of see that I mean these I, I call them essays and so so what I do for each each one is I basically I have this film and I'm retelling the film from my own perspective. So, so there is that fictive element. I mean, I'm I'm talking about this film, and in most cases, the films are fictional. Um, so, you know, I'm I'm telling you what happens. It's it's kind of a little bit more like a story than an essay at that point. Uh, I guess the essayistic portion is I'm injecting myself into this process, and I'm kind of you know I'm I'm interpreting the films as I go along, and I'm very kind of subjectively fixating on certain things that really really appealed to me about these movies. So, but 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 I do I do utilize the uh, you know kind of the techniques of fiction. I mean I, I want this to be compelling. I I want when you read about the film that you're really really drawn in as you would be to a work of fiction and you you want to read the essay all the way through not only because you think I'm an interesting fascinating critical person of course but also that you know you think wow this is an interesting movie and I want to see what happens so I mean I guess you know that there is that fictive element in that way mm-hmm. um, and I think where I wanted to go with this which is actually now off topic but uh, was the the element of nostalgia being kind of uh, to me obviously absent from this book you know you're, you're sort of like you think oh I'm, I'm going to open a memoir or part memoir part film criticism and, and read about someone's experiences with film and you know I reading the book I felt a very nostalgic element for my own life like a longing for sort of that that uh first experience with certain films that sort of opened up my eyes um it was a longing for that feeling because I I mean I maybe I just feel so jaded and cynical these days but um that is definitely not here if anything it's um I mean we did talk about um, Soju River. That, that essay in particular is sort of about you meeting your partner, and um, it was like the first film you watched together, and you ended up spending the whole weekend together. And, and it's such a gorgeous essay, and it's about just sort of coming out of your apartment and walking down and seeing the leaves fall, I think. And um, there's maybe a mention in there about how you sort of long for that 
that that like split moment mm. of like walking down that street. But um, if anything, this is sort of a book about being very in the present and and sort of being um, a telling of how these films made the author who they are today. And I, I feel like it's it's not something that's sort of like is just so attached to the past. And that, that was actually really refreshing because I think that uh, like so many people sort of romanticize the past. And if anything, it's kind of this... I mean, I don't... I don't would you agree? Or... Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of a strange thing to say because we, we keep calling it a memoir and we keep like talking about you know all all of these things that happened to me in my life but i but i didn't really look at it as a book about the past i kind of looked at it as a book about the present like i was i was writing about these movies from the perspective of who i am right now and even though i do deal with things that happened to me long long ago i mean i, I wasn't nostalgic for those times it was more like i was i was trying to look at them and kind of put them into the uh the texture of these essays i was creating so so yeah i mean i I don't think I don't think there's a lot of nostalgia in there. I mean, I I don't I don't miss those times, or, or when when I think about these movies, I don't miss those times. I just kind of think about oh, this is interesting. Like kind of what I got out of this experience has clearly gone into the person I see myself as now. And you know how how has that happened? And can can I kind of trace the path back to how all that got in there and how it's transformed over the years? So I mean I mean it's a little bit more I guess forward looking than a than a nostalgic book would be maybe. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, this is more of a, a, again, writer's question, but you had mentioned that one of the harder essays was the Koyanastoski essay. Can you sort of talk about some of, like, what were were the hurdles that you sort of encountered with some of these essays? Sure, totally. Uh, So so Koyanastoski, if if you haven't seen it, is this really, really, really weird experimental film that's, that's really just a bunch of images, um, images of the natural and human worlds. And it's kind of, I mean, to, to, to crib from the filmmaker, it's about the effects of technology kind of in the human world. And so, but, but it's, it's not narrative. There, there's no words spoken at all in the movie. It's just all these images. And you know, you, if, if there's any narrative, you kind of create it as you watch it. And, and it's scored by Philip Glass. So it, uh, it has this kind of very, very strong musical aspect to it. And I found that a challenge. Well, because I've been working with all these films that have really strong narratives. I mean, one of the reasons why I was so interested in them was because they, they had these really compelling characters I was fascinated by, or they had these plot lines that I wanted to see where they went. And so, you know, so I, I kind of had done a lot of films like that. I, I'd subjected a lot of those sorts of films to my method, and I kind of had a sense of, okay, now I understand how to write an essay that goes in this book. Like, I know how this works. I have a few tools and techniques that I can bring to bear. But then I had this movie, which I'm just like, well, none of this pertains to this movie. This is completely different from the rest of those. So, you know, like, like how do you construct that architecture? How do you, how do you link the paragraphs? How do you make sense from all these images in a way that is going to be equally as compelling? You know, I mean, you're, you're talking about, I don't know, you're, you're talking about Clockwork Orange, where you have uh, Alex, and he's off raping and murdering people, and then the prison subjects him to this horrible punishment. I mean, that's a plot. So how do you take kind of like 
you know how to retell that movie, how do you then kind of take it where it's all these images of canyons and deserts and waterfalls and people on beaches and, you know, how, how does that all compute? So it, it was kind of like starting from the ground up on it. But I guess... I guess to kind of get back to the whole idea of constraint, you know, it felt it felt like a much different challenge. And I, don't know, I, I really appreciate writing that essay because it was a really different thing from the rest of them. And and I kind of felt like, um, you know, in the end, it came out good for that reason. Yeah. And I I was pointing out to Scott earlier that a lot of these essays sort of reflect like the writing style sort of like picks up on the movie itself in in my mind and I I, I was wondering if he agreed um, you know like in the case of Clockwork Orange the essay is very like abrupt and uh, you were saying has more curse words in it than anything else and uh, Kozlowski's uh, The Double Life of Veronique is like it's just so lush this essay is so lush and it just it moves so fluidly from one thought to the next. And it, I mean, it's it is it sort of just encapsulates that exact feeling I felt when I, I watched that film for the first time, and um, sort of his visual uh, sort of poetry, that style of just being so sort of ethereal and stuff. So I was wondering if you could sort of elaborate on it. Like, you did agree at dinner. Sorry, we already had the interview. You guys missed it, by the way. Um, but if you could sort of elaborate on, like, you do agree that that sort of impacted it, and if you could go into, the, into that a little bit. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, mean I was very gratified when Rebecca said that because that was definitely something I was really trying to do with the book um, I mean so I, I kind of come out of the uh, the critical tradition I I write a lot of criticism that was kind of how I first you know, emerged as a writer and one of the things that I'm always 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 really um, kind of fixated on as a critic is kind of the the experience of work I mean I, I use the word phenomenology a lot like I I want to kind of give you the phenomenological experience that I'm having as a, as a reader or viewer or whatever of this art. And, and to me, that's, that's a really important part of criticism. Um, like when I'm, when I'm kind of trying to persuade you that a book is important, I don't want to give you arguments. I don't want to give you rhetoric. I just kind of want to put you in my shoes and let you see it through my eyes. And I think, you know, that's the best argument that I can give you for, for a piece of art. So, so that's kind of my foundation as, you know, just someone, you know, someone who approaches the the world of art and literature and so when I was doing these that was very important to me I mean I I didn't just want to tell you about the film I wanted you to really feel what I was feeling as I was watching this and to kind of represent that experience of the film in the essays so so I kind of I, tr I try to bring a different voice to each one to reflect that and to make them all really, really distinct from one another because, you know, I, I want them to reflect the material. Mm -hmm. Well, that really comes across. And I don't know, um, maybe soon we'll open up for questions um, in the audience, but I do have sort of a, a very neat and tidy conclusion uh, question, which is, you know, this film is so much about how, you know, film sort of changed your life. And I'm, I'm wondering sort of now that all these thoughts are sort of on paper and the book is complete and out, I mean, do you sort of feel change from the experience of, of putting this book out in any way? Or, yeah. Uh, uh, go ahead. There's no more. <laughs> no, I mean, I mean, definitely, definitely. Um, 
I mean, so so kind of one of the things I think that came out when we were talking before the uh, the event was uh, you know we 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 both really reacted to some of these movies like there's there's capturing the Freemans, which is about this guy who is accused of being a pedophile, or there's the Seventh Continent, which is about this family that kills themselves, and, and we were kind of saying what why are these films so profound for us? Why why are we reacting to these things? And you know I mean I think that was one of the things I wanted to find out when I was writing the essays. Like, why have these films been so powerful for me? And so, you know, I, I didn't know that going in. I just knew that they felt powerful. So I think if I've, if I've done my job as the writer of this book, I've, I've kind of learned something. You know, I've come away with things about that. And, you know, kind of just putting that process on the page, I think, is the most compelling thing that I can say about those films for, you know, someone who might want to know what I think of them. So, so definitely, definitely it changed me. I, I learned a lot about myself. I, I kind of came to conclusions about things. I, I learned about my, my aesthetic feelings about film. I mean, there, there was definitely a lot of that, and, and there should be. Mm -hmm. I, and not just for this book, I think, you know, for, for any kind of serious, at least when you're talking about uh, nonfiction, for any kind of serious essay endeavor, you you should have those kinds of moments or or else you're just kind of giving a canned speech and you're just kind of saying what you already know about things. Right. Um, I feel like I could go on. <laughs> but I I, don't, I have no idea what time it is or anything. Has it been like three hours or like 20 minutes? So 20? Oh. It's been about, it's been about 40 minutes. Okay, maybe that's... Should we open up for questions? It's a good time. Okay. Does anyone have any... Oh, Tosh. There you go. <laughs> um, the film you saw that you, you write about in your book, did you see it in a movie theater or did you see it on video or on computer? Oh, that's... Yeah. That's, that's a great question. Um, that was actually one of the things that... It kind of came about serendipitously, but I really appreciate it. There's, there's a real diversity of cinematic viewing experience in here, and, and I really kind of appreciated that. I mean, so we have like A Brief History of Time, which I saw on my parents' living room floor. There's A Clockwork Orange, which I was in a dorm room for. There's a Suso River, which, which I, I do discuss this in the essay, was in one of the greatest kind of movie houses of the Bay Area, which is no longer a movie house. Um, there's Boyhood, which I saw on a plane. The Lars von Trier one, I saw at a film festival. Um, you know, some of them I've watched them on my computer. Um, the the last one, Terrence, Mal Terrence Malick's Voyage of Time, was on an IMAX. So in and I really kind of appreciated all the different ways you can see film and how that does really affect your experience. I mean, I, I watch Boyhood on a plane, for God's sakes. And, you know, if, if something can be that compelling and revelatory when you're kind of looking in the, the back of the passenger in front of your seat, I mean, that's, you know, that's probably a really good movie. But then again, if I had seen that movie, you know, on a big screen in the theater, that could have been a whole different experience. So, so I mean, I definitely did kind of try to draw on that process a little bit as, as I was uh, thinking about how I had experienced these movies. You also sort of talk in the book about um, how people in planes, there was like a study that yeah. that uh, more men 
um, admitted to crying in films, like in if they saw them in planes or something, and yeah. that they have heightened emotions. Yeah, yeah. I mean, basically, kind of the study, like kind of the direction this was going. I mean, maybe study is too much of a word. I think I think Virgin Atlantic like surveyed their passengers or something, but <laughs> but but, but th- there was some kind of analysis, and they concluded that people have like very heightened emotions on a plane, and you know, I think it was something like you know more men cried. You know, then that would normally cry, um, and it, I was thinking about this. And I was thinking, yeah, you know, when I watch movies on a plane, they always really get to me. I mean, they they could be these really awful cheesy movies, but <laughs> they, they really kind of get there. So, so I began thinking about it, like maybe it is really different on a plane, and maybe you do have this whole different kind of aesthetic experience. And uh, yeah, I did begin to bring that into Boyhood because some of those scenes really affected me as I was watching this thing. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No. I mean, I, I, I definitely believe in that, and I think, I think of that as okay, like one probable explanation of why. But then I also started kind of thinking, you know, every time I fly, I kind of think about death, and I don't really think... I mean, it's true, and I don't really think I'm going to die in a plane crash. That's very unlikely. But something about kind of doing that just kind of puts me in a different space. And then, there's, you know, there's all that security, which just makes you feel anxious, even though you've done nothing wrong. And so, you know, like I kind of thought, okay, maybe, like, there's this whole kind of combined effect of all these different things. And, you know, and, and when, when else do you watch a movie when you're, like, kind of sub- subjecting yourself to all these kind of existential and physical uh, obstacles? So uh, I thought it was an interesting thing to look into for sure. Have you watched Boyhood again or any of the movies and have to recreate the kind of feelings that you got from watching them the first time? Yeah, um, I mean, there's a couple of them in the book, uh, The Seventh Continent being one that I didn't watch again, that I just kind of did from memory. But but most of them, like, you know, I, I got the DVD and I, I watched them many more times than anyone should watch a single movie. Um, and, and that was kind of, I guess what we were talking about before, kind of, you know, crushing that initial experience. Because, you know, once you've, you know, I, I had this, as you said, I had this beautiful experience with Zoho. So, so River in, in 2003, and, and I've watched that film like dozens of times, and so it just it just kind of changes that. But uh, but you know I I really wanted to describe certain things to a very precise degree, and I really kind of wanted to get the ins and outs of the plot so I could you know I don't know have have a sense of how I wanted to portray it. So I felt like I really had to watch the movie you know to that extent and really get to know it really well in order to to do the project. Any other questions? I have one. Maybe this, this is going to be awful to end on if it's the last question. But um, Somebody has to think of a question. Yeah, like while I'm talking, think Rebecca of a question. <laughs> Maybe from the parents. Let's put them on the spot. Um, uh, Kislowski uh, once said that uh, he was a pessimist and it was his greatest attribute, which I sort of... Um, I. I think I'm drawn to that in the people I read and watch as well. Like they, they sort of have these voices that are very pessimistic. But you and like there, there's a handful of others. Like I actually feel like you're a bit of a like you have this positivity to your writing, that, okay. and it, it's 
I just want to, I want to cement that right now. Do you agree? Or do you feel, do you identify as a pessimist? Oh, no, definitely. Um, I, I'm absolutely an optimist. Like, I don't think I could watch some of these movies if I was a pessimist. I, I would end up killing myself. I mean, if you're a pessimist, don't watch The Seventh Continent. You'll, you'll have nothing left to hold on to. Um, no, I mean, I, I think... I think optimism is one of the things that kind of lets me explore this art and, and come out, you know, and, and go on with my life because it can be some really bad stuff. Um, that's an interesting quote about Kieslowski. I didn't know he said that uh, because when, when, you, when you said that Kieslowski said he was a pessimist, what immediately came to mind is something I mentioned in that book. Um, so th- this young woman had saw the... The Double Life of Veronique. She watched it three times in the theater. She liked it so much. And she came, some, somehow she got into contact with Kieslowski and she told him, your, your movie makes me believe in my soul. And he, he, was, he was so incredibly flattered by that. It just kind of you know, made his day. So I don't know. I mean, can you be that pessimistic I know. if you're that? I, th- I was a little shocked too. And I mean, also, that film is, I mean, um, I think he said the main lesson of that film was uh, to live more carefully, right? And which is such an acknowledgement of like that all things and all people are sort of connected. Because he was very like his the concern behind that was watch your actions because you don't know how you'll influence or impact you know the people around you. Which it just doesn't seem like sort of something that a pessimist would say. But 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 he he was Polish and lived through some pretty awful stuff. So. Yes. Oh well, in in the book, I, I discussed the five obstructions, which was a, a weird kind of documentary he made with the Danish filmmaker Jorgen Leth. Um, Leth had created this short film called The Perfect Human, which is like a twenty-minute film, and it's just kind of this weird, surreal thing about like these perfect people. And so Lars von Trier challenged him to remake it five times and uh and and the twist is that Lars von Trier was going to put down conditions like you know you have to do this when you remake it you have to do that you have to do it here you can only do this and so kind of they did it five times and kind of the give and take of that was the movie and that that was actually the first von Trier's film I saw which was a little bit of an outlier because it's a lot more kind of playful and just generally life affirming than most of his stuff. <laughs> but 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 it did really kind of get me into, as I said, you know, these these ideas of constraint in art, and it did get me into von Trier. And so you know, for for those reasons, and also just because it's a really kind of interesting movie to pick apart, I, I wanted to discuss it for the book. Did you see Boss of It All? I'm sorry. Boss of It All. Yeah. It's a light comedy. Oh no, I haven't. I haven't seen that one. I should. I should watch it because I watch all the really depressing ones. Well, I. I will. I will say just kind of as to to make one more statement about von Trier. Um, what, the thing I didn't get to write about, but that I think is probably my favorite thing of his I've ever seen, he, he did this series for Danish television called Kingdom uh, that kind of takes place in this hospital. And, and it's just, it's kind of brilliant. And it's just, it's hilarious and macabre and everything in between all at once. And, and I really loved it. But it was like, you know, it's like two seasons of like 14 hours each. So that would just be a crazy thing to try to write about for a book like this. <laughs> 
Um, I found it a little overplayed. I, I thought, you know, we we could have we could have reeled it in a little bit. It wasn't quite. It wasn't. Among other things. <laughs> Any other questions? Hmm. Yeah, I mean that's so that's something that really fascinates me. I mean, I I love all that part about film, and one of the things I really enjoyed about the project, like like I really immersed myself in just kind of how a film gets made, and you know, and how you know, I don't know how how shots come together, how things work in the editing room, how how kind of sound in film works, which is its own kind of amazing world. And I mean, and I like that stuff in fiction too. Like I I love to kind of take apart um, how you know how stories have their effects or how things, you know, just how these things all work. Uh, but I, I kind of recognize that that's not the most interesting thing for everybody. So, I don't know, like, like that was kind of one of the tensions, I guess. Like, I, I definitely am activated by that, and I feel like it can open up certain aspects of these films that wouldn't be opened up otherwise. But, but I also just wanted to make these really just kind of compelling, fun essays to read. So, you know, I, I, would, I would use it if it was serving an end or if it, you know, if it wasn't crazy long-winded. But then, there, you know, there's a lot of things that you just kind of, you know, when you're making a movie, you leave on the cutting room floor. <laughs> or, you know, like, like there's a rule that, you know, all Hollywood, all blockbusters have to be under two hours because you can't entertain people for more than two hours. So there's always a lot of stuff that you leave out when you're making a film because, you know, you just, you can't put it all in. And I felt the same way with these essays. There's, there's lots of stuff about these films that I would have said, but they just, they didn't fit in anywhere. So I just had to take them out. Um... Can I ask one more question, guys? Sorry. <laughs> Wait, I, I did want to ask you about the title because I mm. this was like the uh, the first book I read in a really long time that when I finished it, I kind of felt like it was the perfect title. Like it was so aptly titled because there's so much about doubles in here and it can be impacted in so many different ways. So I was hoping you could just talk about that briefly and then we could wrap up. How about that? <laughs> okay, re really briefly. I have a really kind of good answer to this question, so this will be fast. Um, as, I was, as I was getting close to the end of the project, I thought I have to title this something. What am I going to call this? And I realized that a lot of the films in here rely on pairs. You know, there's a there's Jorgen Leth and Lars von Trier in the, in the Five Obstructions. There's a you know there's the two Veroniques in the Double Life of Veronique, and there's just like a lot of doublings in these. And even movies. in like Three Women, you know, I mean that's three, but you have you know, but you have uh, sort of uh, these women representing like maybe one psyche. You know, yeah. like there's a, it's just a lot of sort of. Um, and 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 they they do pair off throughout the movie, right. and, and there's also kind of the the doubling of the male 
male and female gender in there. Right. Um, so, so, uh, so I, I began to think, okay, well, this is like a motif that runs through this whole thing. And then I kind of began to look in terms of like I was creating doubles of these movies because I'm you know creating my version of them for the book, and I kind of thought about you know myself as this double to just kind of film in general. And uh, like I just began to think of like in these binary pairs, so it's, it's a little Hegelian, I guess, just like you know, the, you have these two things that interact really powerfully and they kind of egg each other on and you get into places that you never thought you would be. So it, it just seemed like like a really good motif to, you know, kind of carry the whole book. I agree. Um, well, thank you very much, Scott. Thank you, Rebecca. That, that was wonderful. And thank you all so much. You've been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. Don't forget, you can listen to this and all of our other great podcasts at skylightbooks.com. Thanks again for stopping by, and we hope to see you soon.